The reading today is from the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's the whole of chapter one. Please follow along. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostle he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they, were, uh, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language Al-Kadama, that is, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, that there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place in leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us for the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then he prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Well, good morning. 
Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Josh. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch, and I'm going to be speaking uh, for a little while on that passage that was just read from us from Acts chapter 1. Before we begin, now is a good time to make sure you've got a Bible in front of you. I'll be referring to the, the whole of that chapter as we go along, so please do keep a Bible open in front of you. Uh, maybe grab um, something to make notes on for now if you want to do that. And don't forget that this sermon and also a written copy of what I'm about to say is also going to be available on our church website. And some of the details are also going to be available um, underneath this video in the link section. Uh, so uh, I'm ready to go. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 1. And as we do that, I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to help us as we come to his word. Let's pray. Father God, we know that the Lord Jesus has set his church in our world and has empowered us by your spirit and he's given us your Bible. So we pray that as we together as a church look at what your Bible says, we pray that your spirit will accompany the reading and explaining of your word now and that your spirit will speak to us, will convict our hearts and change us and make us more like the church that Jesus would have us be here in Liverpool as we hear your word explained now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of signing up for something or buying something and it turns out completely different from what you expected. Maybe you've had my experience of going to the, the local supermarket just to buy a microwave meal and you get it home, take it to the microwave and you realise that although it's in the plastic packaging, it actually says not microwave safe, this is an oven meal. It's just not what I expected to be getting. Or maybe you've been stood at the bus stop and you know that the bus home is coming at, at 9.37 and it's gonna be a double-decker and along comes a bus, a double-decker at 9.37 and, and so you, you jump on and you pay your money only to realize 20 minutes later that you're in completely the wrong place. This is not the bus you expected to be on. Or maybe you've had the experience, and I hope you haven't, but perhaps you've had the experience of poor old Adam Hess. He was an Amazon customer, and this on the picture is what he thought he was buying. Um, he thought he'd spruce up his living room with this beautiful embroidered rug, only to be dismayed when it came through the door and it was actually the size of a postcard. The, the look of that dis disappointment on his face says it all, doesn't it? Well, when we look at the Bible, we often find that people's experience of Jesus is just as surprising and unexpected in a, in a good way. That what they expected was something totally different to how things turned out. And the same goes for church. Being one of Jesus' followers in this new discipleship community that he set up called church, well, that often turns out to be very different to what you might have expected it to be when you came along. And that's certainly the pattern we find in the book of Acts. We are having a look at the book of Acts over the next number of weeks. Um, I'm really excited to start this series. Uh, it's a, a great book and it's going to be so beneficial for us to get our teeth into it. We started last week with Morris giving us an overview of Acts chapters 1 to 6 and we called our series in Acts the new normal. Of course, that's a phrase borrowed from life today in the pandemic to express that there are some areas of life that will never be the same again because something has come in and changed everything. But we're using the, that same phrase um, about life with Jesus. 
but in a much more positive way again. That there has been something come into the world that has changed everything. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection has established the church. And the church is endowed with his Holy Spirit. And if you are part of that radical new community, then, well, that's a game changer. Nothing's ever going to be the same again. And so the life of the church is a new normal. And in Acts chapter 1, right as we begin the look at the whole book, Acts chapter 1 shows us that the new normal in God's church may not be what you expected it to be. Because in today's passage, we're going to see two things. We're going to see in the first part, Jesus' final words to his disciples on earth before he was taken up to heaven. When we see his final words, we're going to see that they reveal a surprising priority for church life. And after that, we're going to see Jesus' first work to the church on earth after he's gone to heaven. And when we see his first work, we're going to see that that reveals a very surprising pattern for church life. So let's look at that now. Verses 1 to 8, we see Jesus' final words to his disciples. And Jesus' final words reveal a surprising priority for church life. If you have a look at a glance down at verses 1 to 3, they are an introduction that helps us understand what's going on in this section. So verse 1 tells us that this book is a sequel to a previous book that was written to the same guy, Theophilus, in verse 1. Now we do have the previous book. It's the book of Luke earlier in the New Testament. So we know that Luke wrote uh, Luke and Acts and that this in Acts is the sequel and he's going to pick up where he left off. See, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's about to leave and ascend to heaven. And verse 3 tells us that between Jesus rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, Jesus spends 40 days training his disciples. Now, I'd imagine if, if he's only got 40 days to train his disciples before he leaves, that the last things he's going to say, they're going to be pretty important. He's going to cram it full of the things that are his top priority for the disciples to know and do. And so we also find, also in verse 3, that what Jesus prioritises are two things. Firstly, he gives them, in verse 3, many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, I guess that's quite unusual. I've never met a, a lecturer who teaches in a university and spends the first term teaching on a module to prove to the students that, that he's alive. But of course, for Jesus, his disciples would remember his death pretty, pretty vividly from just a few days and weeks before. His death was a profound reality. And clearly Jesus knows that when he leaves them, he doesn't want them to look back at this period and think they were just imagining things. So he wants them to be 100% sure and with tangible proof that he really is alive. And that's because later on, we're gonna find it's their job to take that proof to other people. And secondly, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is shorthand in the New Testament for a time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled. There's going to be a distinct people of God and they're going to live under the rule of God, under the rule of God's anointed king. And then the whole world are going to be able to come into that kingdom and know God too. 
And so it's going to be a time of judgment on the wicked outside, but it's also going to be a time of great peace and safety for those who are in God's kingdom. But even at the end of this 40 days training, it seems that the disciples have got the wrong end of the stick about God's kingdom. Because what they expect about it is actually very different to what it turns out to be. Have a look at verse 6. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what's behind this question is that they do recognise that Jesus is a game changer, and they're right. They recognise Jesus is God's anointed king. He's the king of the kingdom. He's going to establish his kingdom. His death has been the payment for all the sin that separated us from God, and in his resurrection, he's begun to defeat all that sin brought into the world, all the evil and the, the death. So now they're hoping that we've reached the final chapter. Jesus rises from the dead. He's going to be king in Jerusalem. And all the nations around Jerusalem, well, they're going to leave Israel alone. The, the invading nations, the Romans are going, to, are going to leave. Israel are going to put all their suffering behind them. And God's people, including the disciples, are going to get a chance to put their feet up. They think they're going to take it easy and enjoy everything that God has promised, and it's all going to happen right now. Now, I think that Luke records this question in order to challenge the expectation of the reader about what we might think churches. See, I think we can be tempted to imagine the same as the disciples, that Jesus has established the church so that that can be his like his mini kingdom of God on earth. And so within the church, well, we can just stick together, put our feet up, say that our time of suffering has ended. We can sing worship songs. We enjoy peace and good times. We don't want to be opposed. And we imagine that somehow as we live in these four walls as the kingdom of God, that somehow God's going to use this ease and comfort to, to sort of filter out and, and, and kind of bless the world somehow. So here is where Jesus' priority turns what we might be expecting into something totally different. In verse 7, he just dismisses that question. He says basically, no, 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 that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen right. It's not going to happen like that. It's not going to happen right now. And anyway, when it does happen, is none of your business. But, verse 8, but there is something that profoundly concerns you. And that's that the surprising priority of church life is to reach countries. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not like God isn't going to build his kingdom on earth. It's just that it's not going to be geographical in Israel. It's not going to be a plot of land. And it's not going to all come at once in a, in a blaze of glory. Not now, at least. Because God has always said that his kingdom is for the whole world. So that means that the whole world needs to know that the king is risen and he is alive. So the priority... The thing that comes first, the priority is that the whole world needs the first-hand evidence, witnesses, to tell them that Jesus is God's son. He died on the cross for sin and rose again and is king of God's kingdom. 
So in order to do that, the disciples have been promised the Holy Spirit. And we'll see later on in Acts that the Holy Spirit gives them a deep understanding of Jesus and what the scriptures taught about him. And because of that, the Spirit is giving them this ability to speak about him. He gives them the, the boldness to speak about him in the face of people who are not going to believe, in the, the face of skeptics, in the face of critics, in the face of people who actually will want to silence them and harm them. And the Spirit will be opening doors to new opportunities so that this witness, this eyewitness message about Jesus' death and resurrection can actually go to people who will never have heard it before. And I take it that that's what Luke wants all of Jesus' followers to, to understand is the priority of the church. If you have experienced Jesus, and if you are convinced that he rose from the dead because of proofs of the resurrection, basically that's any Christian, well then it's a priority to share that because that's God's kingdom coming. It's not the church's priority to get comfy, to stay where you are, to avoid danger. It's not the church's priority to pretend that this little bubble that we create is the kingdom of God and people will just magically come in and we stay quiet, we talk among ourselves over tea and biscuits. There was a, a, an England cricketer a really good cricketer called C.T. Studd. And that was at the turn of the last century in the late 1800s, really. Um, and he understood this. See, he had a lot going on in life that could have persuaded him that God's kingdom is here and he can just enjoy it. You know, he, he, he was from a relatively wealthy home. He was educated at Cambridge. He was a Christian. He was making great progress in what was quite a public career, being an England cricketer. So he had all he needed to be able to stay at home and say, well, God's kingdom is kind of being brought home to me right now. He could enjoy peace and safety in the cozy church God had given him with all his Christian friends. But, you know, he understood that priority of the church is reach countries. So he just didn't think he had a choice. He quit his job as an England cricketer. No more in the new, times in the newspaper. <laughs> No more playing in front of hundreds of thousands of fans. No, he just went to India as a missionary because he had something to witness to. He had knowledge of Jesus. He had experience of Jesus that people in India needed to know. And then he went to China and then to Africa. He explained his motivation like this. Christ's call is to save the lost, not to build and furnish comfortable chapels and churches at home in which to rock Christians to sleep by means of clever essays, I think he means sermons, stereotyped prayers and artistic musical performances, but to capture men and women from the devil's clutches and from the very jaws of hell. That's what you see when the power of the spirit comes on someone who, who's got everything to lose, but who isn't interested in keeping that happy status quo, because that's not the church's priority but it's reaching countries with the truths we know about Jesus. Imagine if that's how you saw our church. As the vehicle that Jesus has placed in the world to bring witness about Jesus to Overbury Street and to Edge Hill and Wavertree and Mossley Hill, to Granby and to Toxteth. 
and then over to Ireland, and to bring that witness to Lebanon and Central Asia and North Africa. Is that what we are here to do? Because Jesus' final words show that the surprising priority of life, of church life, is to reach countries. And that's how Jesus leaves his disciples. Verse 9, well, that's his final words. He, he, he leaves. He goes up to heaven. Now, the book of Acts begins in verse 1, where Luke says, in my former book, so in the book of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, which implies that the book of Acts is all about the things that Jesus continued to do and teach after he was taken up into heaven. And verses 9 to 11 is, is the hinge between all that he did, began to do before going to heaven and all that he will continue to do afterwards. In verses 9 to 11, there's a phrase, into heaven, repeated four times. In the English translation, it comes out as into the sky sometimes, but it's into heaven four times to show us that here's the hinge, here's the switch. From now on, we're into the bit of Acts where Luke is telling us all that Jesus continues to do and teach now that he's ascended into heaven. So we had a look just now at Jesus' final words, which reveal a surprising priority. Now we're going to see Jesus' first works as the ascended Lord of his church. And his first work reveals a surprising pattern in church life. It's a really surprising pattern, because here's the thing. What would you expect now to happen? As a spirit-filled group of people whose job it is to reach countries with witness about Jesus' resurrection. Well, what's going to happen? It's probably this dynamite movement who's going to sweep across the continent and leave happy, healthy, well-adjusted Jesus communities in its wake. But what actually happens is actually totally different to what we'd expect would happen. See, after having been constantly in prayer, verse 14, the disciples, they're depending on Jesus, they're talking to him, and they're listening to him. Well, Peter realises that the Holy Spirit has taught them in the Bible that the surprising pattern of church life is to redeem crises. Verses 15 to 26 are all about this new church picking up the pieces of a mess the fallen leader has left behind. Verse 15 begins the first ever church business meeting. Peter stood up among the believers, but the first act of the apostles is a painful one. It's facing up to the reality of Judas's fall from grace and then his subsequent suicide. We often miss how painful this would have been for the disciples and for the early church. Look at verse 17. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Peter makes no attempt to distance himself from Judas. He, he never claims he saw it coming or that Judas was never really one of us. You know, he was always the oddball, a bit aloof. No, he expresses the pain of what happened. Judas served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. And yet he, he was one of us. One of us. He was a genuine, chosen apostle, and he shared in the ministry. 
he would have been remembered for the preaching and the miracles he did when Jesus sent out the apostles to preach the kingdom. Can you imagine all the people who would have been converted or encouraged by the preaching he did as he witnessed to what Jesus was doing? He'd have been remembered for his friendship and camaraderie. He was one of our number, Peter says, and he shared in our ministry. And yet, he committed a terrible sin. And he seems unrepentant as he died. We're given the gruesome details in verses 18 and 19 that he, he took the, the money that he got for betraying Jesus as a kind of, as a reward, and he, he invested it. He bought some land. And now we know from Matthew 27 that without repenting or asking for any forgiveness, Judas went and hanged himself. But it seems that after he hanged himself, there's also this talking point of, of his body probably bloating and, and then falling off and bursting open. And this was public knowledge. His fall from grace was turned into a disgusting topic of gossip. I mean, they even renamed the field because everyone knew what happened. And so Jesus' first work through his church as the ascended Lord of the church is to empower his people to redeem crises. He does it first through the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Holy Spirit-inspired word, the Bible. Because Peter opens up the Bible and he gives them comfort of God's providence and conviction of God's purposes. He, he comforts them by recognising these events were not a surprise to God. That God is sovereign even over pain and betrayal. Because he says in verse 16 and in verse 20 that God knew this beforehand. He spoke this beforehand and surely this is how the Holy Spirit helps Christ's church to redeem the mess of sin, to comfort us with God's providence, God's sovereignty over it all. And yet the Spirit gives the church conviction of purpose, that is that Peter identifies that the Spirit through his word is leading them to do what's next and that is to appoint a replacement. And the reason is the exact reason that Jesus commissioned them in verse 8 is there in verse 22 in order to become a witness with us of the resurrection. So uh, Peter recognizes that, that reaching countries is still the priority, and in order to do that, they've got to redeem the crisis. And that's Jesus' first work as the ascended Lord of his church is to redeem a crisis in order to reach countries with witnesses. It's actually Jesus who then in verses 23 to 26 who decides who this witness is going to be. So actually that means a whole section from verse 15 to 26 is Jesus acting, not the apostles. You see, it's the spirit who speaks about Judas beforehand. It's the spirit who leads them to appoint a replacement uh, to do the things that Jesus, the agenda that Jesus had set. And it's Jesus who ends up choosing. And so because it's Jesus' work, it's hardly surprising that the role of the disciples in it is top and bottom prayer. Verse 14, constantly in prayer. Verses 24 and 25, they're there praying. It's Jesus' work through the church and the disciples engage in that by praying. So we've seen that although Jesus' final words commanded the priority of reaching countries, his first work as a risen, uh, ascended Lord was to enable the pattern 
of redeeming crises. Now, why is that? Why do those two things go together? I mean, why is it, if the priority of the church right, is, is to reach countries, why is it that their first business meeting is all about facing up to the reality and effects of sin and picking up the pieces? Surely, Jesus' church has a more triumphant mission than this painful and mundane and frankly embarrassing episode of dealing with messed up people and messed up situations. Well, here's why. By redeeming crises, this is exactly what they're being witnesses to. That is how they're witnesses to Jesus. Redeeming this mess is living out the truth that they're witnessing to in the countries that they reach. Because you see, everywhere the church is, the reality and effects of sin dominate. You cannot find a church without betrayal or desertion or lies or hurt or death. But the church in every place is an eyewitness to the fact that we can face that brutal reality because Jesus died to deal with it. Jesus died as a punishment in the place of anyone who trusts in him. And he rose to conquer the very things that held us in, in its grip, death and evil. And so the business of the church, the first business of the church, is to witness to that fact by facing the reality of brokenness in ourselves, in our church, and in really in, in anyone we meet. Because we recognise that the Jesus who died for sin and who rose again is the same Jesus who still lives, ascended into heaven and who will return. And so we witness to that by looking to his sovereign rule. We look to his good purpose in the messes of life. And we look to him for grace and comfort and hope, even in the messiest of messy situations. Now, a church who does that well, they are a testimony to Jesus' ongoing work as the risen Lord who is the forgiver of sin, defeater of death and evil. And we witness to that when it's the church's business to pick up the pieces of broken lives ruined by evil. That's why we redeem crises. And maybe that's not something you expected was going to be the new normal in church life to enter dark situations and face pain and redeem the mess of selfishness and sin. But it's not unexpected. It's actually right here in Acts 1 and always has been. So please don't lose heart with church when a leader messes up publicly. Please don't lose your confidence in church when hurt spreads like wildfire because of gossip or a hateful word. Please don't lose your confidence in church when the whole of YouTube and Twitter knows all the gory details of a scandal because redeeming messes in the power of the Spirit is Jesus' surprising pattern for church life. That's the new normal and it's one of the ways he uses to, to reach the world. So one of the ways we testify to the power of his death and resurrection is, is stepping into those messes, trusting in the Spirit, listening to his word and seeing the Lord Jesus redeem them. 
So I wonder whether church was all you expected it to be. The new normal that Jesus Christ establishes for his church is that the surprising priority of reaching countries and the surprising pattern of redeeming crises. And that's the book of Acts. All that Jesus continues to do and teach after he's gone to heaven. And he hasn't gone to heaven and left the church on its own. He sent his Holy Spirit who has spoken in the Bible and the Spirit accompanies the church in living out their job as witnesses. So really it's just left for us to listen to the Spirit, to trust the Spirit, to take seriously that priority of worldwide witness and to trust that there really is a Jesus who's gone into heaven and, and who rules it all in his sovereignty and entrust to him redeeming of the messes that we stumble into on the way. Because as we do that, it really does testify to the redeeming power of the risen Jesus. Let's take a moment to reflect on that in prayer before God. Father God, thank you so much that in the book of Acts it does teach us exactly what the church is meant to be and yet uh, it also shows us the difficulty and reality of it. And thank you that it matches so much with our experience that church is not this easy, glossy group of people, but there, are, there is pain. But thank you so much, Lord, that in your providence you have always known this is how things will be. You've said it in your word and you've equipped us with all we need to redeem crises in such a way that testifies to your wonderful redeeming power. That we do have a Lord who has died and rose again and has risen and ascended. Thank you so much that all of that is true and that is the shape of our church. Lord, we do pray that as Christ church we would be more and more like that. That we would never lose the fact that we ought to be reaching countries but that we are also empowered and equipped to redeem crises on the way and that both of those are testimony to, to the real truth we want to share with people that Jesus really is alive and is ruling from heaven. And so Lord we pray for your spirit in our church corporately and in us as individually. Please move in us to enable us to be your witnesses as we reach countries and redeem crises. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.